Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. And I uh, just want to start the message with a disclaimer, okay? I don't know if you looked at the outline yet or not, but this is going to be a message about giving, okay? Now, for the record, in the last 12 months, only three times has someone stood here and preached a message related to financial giving, okay? So, if you're first time here today, no, we don't talk about money every time we come together. No, we don't. If you're watching online, this is your first time to tune in. No, we don't preach about money every time, but we don't shy away from the subject either because it's healthy for us to take the whole counsel of God and to understand that because it helps us understand how to be obedient to Him. So this morning, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about what it means to be a cheerful giver, not just a giver, but a cheerful giver. In fact, uh, I want you to think about the last time that you gave something to someone. It could have been the Lord. It could have been at church or could have been a friend or a family member. We just had Valentine's Day, right, guys? So uh, the last time you gave something cheerfully, you say, that oh, wasn't Valentine's Day. I didn't give it cheerfully. I went and got it, but I didn't really want to do it. But, you know, whatever. You, when's the last time? So here's what I want you to do. When we leave here in a minute and you go to lunch, I want to encourage you to tell your family, men, you start, you initiate it, you be the leader, initiate and say when the, the last time that you remember giving something cheerfully, okay? And then let your family talk about that a little bit, and let's, let's share about that, because the reality is there are all kinds of givers. So I've, I've named a few here. There are people who I would call stingy givers. They give, but they're like, what's the least I have to do to give to whatever this thing is? You know, whatever, what's the, where's the line? I want to be right up against the line. For some people who tithe, they think it's only 10%, as long as I give 10%, right? I don't have to give anything else. Stingy givers, reluctant givers, people who are hesitant, maybe because they feel like if, if they give, they won't have enough for themselves to provide for themselves and their family. So they're reluctant, they're hesitant to give. I think some people are benefit givers, people who give because there's a benefit in it for them. They're going to get something back. Maybe it's some kind of recognition or some reputation for being so generous or whatever it might be. And so they're what I would call benefit givers. And then there are people, and you know someone like this, don't look around the room yet, but that you would say are strings attached givers. I don't know if that's even a category, but they're people who give, but they're gonna expect something back from you because they gave something to you, right? They let you borrow something, so they're gonna borrow something back from you, or they gave you something, so they want you to give them something back. That never happens, right? Yeah, well, sometimes it does. And then there are people who are begrudging givers. They give because they have to. And some of you give financially because the Lord requires it, and you have to, to be obedient. But it doesn't really describe a cheerful giver. And then I think there are people who are guilty givers. They give out of a sense of, I owe this person, so I've got to give them something. And certainly, we owe a debt of gratitude to the Lord, but we don't, we don't give to the Lord out of guilt because we've been set free from guilt. So I don't think any of these categories are what I would describe as cheerful givers, and that's what I want to talk about this morning with you guys is what does it look like to be a cheerful giver? Because you may say, man, I don't need this sermon. I'm already giving. I'm a giver. I give regularly. I give consistently to the church and through the church, and I give to other great causes. I don't really need this. My question to you this morning is, are you a cheerful giver? Because that's what the Word of God is talking about this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're actually going to read, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 15 verses, and uh, I know that's a long passage, but I want you to get the, the whole context of what Paul's talking about here as he writes to the church at Corinth, the second letter, and uh, what he's trying to get at. So if you have your Bible this morning, or if, even if you don't, would you stand with me now as rev out of reverence for God and his word? And if you're watching online, you can stand as well because 
These words that I'm sharing with you are not my words. They're not man's words. They're the word of God. And this is what it says. I'll read aloud. You just follow along silently. It says, Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that, so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So as you think about... This chapter, and as I said, I love this chapter because it's just full of grace. It oozes generosity and grace. Paul mentions it over and over and over again. And the context of this is this. The Christians that were in Jerusalem were mostly Jewish people. And as a Jewish person, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it's still true today. Oftentimes, you would lose your source of income. If you were a tradesman or you had some kind of business, you mostly probably did business with other Jewish people. And when someone gave their life to Christ, the Jewish community would turn their back on you. And you were no longer able to conduct business. You were no longer able to earn a living for your family. Can you imagine if the thing that you had gone to school for and trained at and were really good at and knew how to make money doing, if all of a sudden nobody would do business with you? And that's what these Jewish Christians were facing in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And so Paul appeals to these Gentile Christians who aren't even Jewish to say to them, hey, you guys aren't suffering the same level of persecution, so I want to encourage you to be generous with our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And, and when you're generous, generous with them, you're going to create a greater bond, a greater sense of fellowship with them. So this whole chapter is about Paul encouraging them to fulfill a promise that they had made because they'd already promised to give a gift. And Paul was like, I just got to send somebody to you to get it. There's no other way to get the gift to Jerusalem. And we want to make sure it gets there the right way and that it gets to the right people. It's spent in the right way. And so that was Paul's need to write them and encourage them. So this morning, when we think about what it means to be a cheerful giver, because Paul's encouraging them to be a cheerful giver to the church in Jerusalem, there's three discoveries that I hope you'll make. Just simple, simple discoveries that are right here in this passage. And the first is this, a cheerful giver trusts God. Seems so obvious it doesn't really even need to be said, right? But I think it does, because what it says in verse 8 here is it says, God is able, God is able to make every grace abound to you. The reason that a lot of people don't give is they don't really trust that God will meet their needs if they give. They're concerned that 
they won't have enough or they won't have enough to have everything they want and need maybe. And, and the Bible doesn't promise that you'll have all your wants, but the Bible makes promises about our needs. So giving to God is one of the most practical expressions of personal trust in God. And it's one of the most tangible ways to exercise your trust in him. When you give to him, you're saying you believe the word of God, you believe what he has taught in the word of God, and you believe it enough to actually act on it. So at Moberly, we talk a lot about tithing. Now, you'll notice in chapter 9, the whole chapter, Paul doesn't mention the word tithing one time. In fact, people will say, well, tithing is not really a New Testament concept. Well, we take the whole counsel of God, the old and the new together. And though we are not under the Old Testament in terms of earning salvation, you don't have to tithe in order to be saved. We tithe because the instruction of God in the Old Testament is still true. His ideal for his people in the Old Testament is still true for his people in the New Testament, which is the church. And so we follow the teaching and instruction of the Old Testament, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved, we want to follow the wisdom and truth of God's word. So I think Paul's taking it for granted that people know that there's a responsibility before God to tithe here, but he's talking about giving beyond your tithe. He's talking about giving an offering to the Lord. Remember the the people I said a minute ago, the begrudging givers that just want to, where's the line? I want to give right up to that line, and that's all I want to give. He's not talking about that kind of giver. He's talking about a cheerful giver, a person who gives to the Lord because they, they know the Lord is generous and, and they want to trust him. To me, it doesn't make any sense to trust the Lord with your eternal soul and not trust him with your temporary finances because you're not taking any of the stuff with you when you go. It's all temporary. You may have it for a, quite a few more years. I don't know. But you're not taking it with you. It's temporary. But your soul is eternal. And those of you in the room that would say you've put your trust in Jesus Christ would say gladly, without question, without hesitation, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I know that my soul is fine. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's taken care of. You completely trust the Lord for your salvation. But some of the same people who would say that would say, but I can't trust him with my finances. Because if I give, I mean, I don't even have 10%. First of all, where would I get 10% to give to God? I don't even have that. So I don't even know how I would do that. It's all a matter of trust, and the cheerful giver is someone who trusts the Lord. Now, typically every year in our church, we practice a Sunday where we call, it's called Prove the Tithe Sunday. Next Sunday is that day, so don't stay home next Sunday, okay? You cheerful givers, come on to church next Sunday and bring your gift with you. We encourage people, especially people who have never really tithed in their life, we encourage them to bring 10% of one of their pay periods and offer it to the Lord. And, and we've done this for many, many years, and every year that we do this, the offering is pretty large. And you say, well, do we really need all that? Yes, we really do need all that. Now, at this point in the year, we're about halfway through. In fact, next Sunday is halfway through our fiscal year, and we're doing okay in terms of giving. We've had some very generous people who've given some very generous gifts this year. But as far as our weekly giving, we've been behind for several Sundays. We just really haven't caught up. And, and part of that's because people, some people aren't back yet, and and I don't know what the mentality is that says, well, if I don't go, I don't have to give. I don't really understand that because it's the Lord. You're giving to the Lord whether you're here or not. But some people have that mentality. And, and I always say this stat whenever we talk about financial resources and money and giving and that kind of thing. But it blows my mind still that about half the people that attend our church don't give anything in a year. And I don't know who gives and who doesn't give. That's a stat that I've had reported to me. So that's, that's bizarre to me that that people would attend church and benefit from the ministries of the church and think somehow that it's everybody else's responsibility to foot the bill for it, right? That suggests that people don't understand cheerful giving. Cheerful giving can only happen when you trust the Lord, when you are walking 
trusting the Lord. And so people will say, well, what about, you know, tiptoeing into tithing? You know, I don't tithe currently. So if you're not currently someone who gives 10% of your income, then you may think, well, like I said a minute ago, I don't know how to do that. I don't have, at the end of the month, there's not 10% just laying around. So I don't know where I would get that 10%. So, so I'll just tiptoe into it. This year, I'll give a 1%. Next year, I'll give 2%. And th- year three, I'll give 3%. And 10 years from now, I'll be tithing. Okay? That's so silly if you take that same principle and apply it to any other part of your Christian life. Right? I'm going to share my faith this year one time. And then next year, I'll share it twice. And then year three, I'll share my faith three times. It's kind of silly, isn't it? The same thing can be said about your financial responsibility. You say, well, how do I get 10%? You sit down with your spouse, if you're married, and you look at your finances and you go, how do I put God first? I'll tell you how you do it. You write him the first check. You make that the first deposit or the first debit. You start with him. And, and it's amazing. A guy came up to me after the first service this morning. I talked about this and he goes, man, let me tell you a story. And he told me a story basically about uh, not even a tithe. He was already a tither, but he said, you know, the church asked for a special offering. Like, for example, back at Christmas, you guys remember we took up an offering for missions. You guys gave over $190,000 to missions, above and beyond tithing. Praise the Lord. This is a very generous church. And this guy said, we were praying about what we should give to a special offering. And he said, the Lord just gave me a number. And I told my wife, and she's like, oh, <laughs> that's a lot of money. You think we should give that? I think we should give that. And and this is just his testimony. He says the next week, they get a check from their mortgage company almost to the dollar for what they gave from something that the mortgage company had withheld that they had not given back to them appropriately. And you go, what is that? That's the faithfulness of a God you can trust. That's what that is. I've had that same thing happen in my life. Now, it doesn't mean every time I give a gift that God's going to turn around and go, I'll give it right back to you. But sometimes he does just to remind us that he's a good God. And you can't trust a God who's not good, but you certainly should trust and can trust a God who's good. Look at verse eight, look at all these absolutes. He said that God is able to make every grace overflow to you in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. There are a bunch of absolutes in there and only God can do that. Only God can be absolutely good all the time. Only God can give absolutely good things to his children all the time. And God wants us to trust him. And he's trustworthy. And that's where the trust comes from, is knowing his character. So this morning, if you can't trust him, if you're not giving faithfully or tithing or giving an offering occasionally that's generous to the Lord, you're saying very clearly, I don't think I can trust you, God. I just don't think that you're trustworthy. And yet everything about the scripture suggests that he is. And Paul says here in verse 10, the one who provides will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness and you'll be enriched in every way. God does all that. You don't do that. I don't do that. God does that for us. And therefore we can trust him. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things is he talking about? Well, all the things you need money to buy. He says, all these things will be added to you. Just seek first the kingdom of God. Write him the first check. Give him the first offering every month. Pay him first of the month. Don't wait and see if you have leftovers. Start with him. Put him first and then see what happens in your life. So let me ask you a question. If you're someone who's here this morning or watching online and you've never been someone who has tithed, you just never practiced tithing, you give occasionally or maybe you don't even give occasionally. Maybe you never give anything, but you're just not a consistent giver to the Lord. Let Let me challenge you to do something this week. Between now and next Sunday, my challenge to you is to find a Christian who has actually practiced Matthew 6, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
find any Christian anywhere who would tell you that when they did that, when they sought first the kingdom of God, that God did not meet their needs. I realize there's a double negative in there. I get that. Okay, but I dare you to find a Christian because you won't be able to. Not because Christians are great, but because God is perfect and he's faithful. And you can trust him with your finances. You absolutely can. I've seen it in my life. You've seen it, some of you, in your life. In fact, let me just ask you this question. If you're someone who has done that, you've put your trust in Jesus, you've practiced that by giving him faithfully and giving to him first, and you said, I'm going to seek first his kingdom. If that's you and God has always met your needs, not all your wants, but he's always met your needs, would you testify by raising your hand this morning? If, that, if that's your testimony, a bunch of you have your hands up. So if you're watching online, you may not be able to see that. But a lot of people in this service, a lot of people in the past service said the same thing. I've never gone without a need. God's always met my needs. You can't outgive the God of the universe. You can't do it. He's that generous. He's that good. So those of you who've never given or don't give consistently or don't put him first in your finances, let me challenge you to do something. The people that just raised their hand are saying, I've tried it. It works. I've been tested in it. It works. And I'm now part of the congregation of the trusting I am trusting God with my finances. So if you're not, let me encourage you and let me invite you today to join the congregation of the trusting. Because if you'll put your trust in him in this very real and tangible way, you will find out things about his character that you never knew. You will see his faithfulness very personally in your life and it will reassure every part of your faith. And so I wanna encourage you between now and next Sunday to, to really pray about how to jump in and how to be faithful in your giving to the Lord, okay? Next Sunday's gonna be a great day of celebration for us as we prove the tithe together. Now, if you're one of those people who raised your hand a minute ago because you've seen God's faithfulness in your life, let me encourage you to do something this week between now and, and next Sunday. Go on whatever social media sites that you use and just write a testimony about God's faithfulness in that area, would you? You say, well, I don't wanna brag. No, it's not about you. I'm not asking you to brag about you. Brag about God. Talk about how you trusted him with your finances, some specific story like the guy came up and shared with me after the last service, and let people be influenced by that because what Paul says in verse two is that the other believers saw your generosity and they were impacted, they were stirred up by it. And so by you sharing your testimony of some kind of God's faithfulness in your life, who knows how that may have a positive impact on someone else's life. So a cheerful giver, first of all, is someone who trusts God. But secondly, this morning, a cheerful giver is someone who pleases God. He says here, God loves a cheerful giver. It really couldn't be much clearer, could it? It doesn't say God just loves a giver. There's a, there's a qualifier here. He loves a cheerful giver. So that's the kind of giver that we want to be, right? Paul says earlier in 2 Corinthians in, in chapter 5, verse 9, therefore, whether we are at home or away, and he's talking about literally living in our bodies here or away in heaven, we make it our aim or our ambition to be pleasing to him. Paul's saying, this is the goal of my Christian life is to please God. I don't know about you, but the, one of the very first things that changed in my life when I gave my life to Christ at 15, almost 16 years of age, was I had this new awareness that I wanted to please God. I never ever thought about that before. But when I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden I wanted my choices and my decisions every day to please him. I wanted him to be pleased with me. Um, you probably have a story, uh, I do, you probably have a story of, of maybe sometime in your life where you really sought to please one of your parents about something maybe because you love your parents. When you're a kid growing up. I have a story like that. I, 
my brother and I used to have to do the yard work. There were two sisters and my two, me and my brother, four kids. And so the girls did all the housework inside and we had to do everything outside. That's the way dad had the division of labor at our house. So um, my brother and I, we mowed the front yard one week and then I mowed the back and then we switched. And equally, there was a lot of labor involved in that, you know. And so my dad, though, every Thursday, by the time he got home from work, the yard better be mowed, weed eated, swept, finished, done, okay, or there's going to be trouble. So we knew we had all week to get it done as long as it was done by Thursday. So one of those Thursdays, I forget if I did the front or the back, but I finished my job and my brother was doing his, he was mowing. And my dad always would complain when he would come home about how filthy the garage was. Just, he hated it. He would be like, and he never did anything about it, but he was like, man, I, this garage, there's toys everywhere and there's bicycles everywhere and there's shoes everywhere and it's a mess. And he's like, this is just, this garage is a mess. He never said you have to clean it or anything. So one of those Thursdays I was like, I'm just going to clean the garage. I was like eight years old. I thought, I'm going to get in here. Mom and dad were gone. The cars were gone. So I got in there. I took everything out of the garage, and I swept the garage, and I put, got the cobwebs out of the corner. And we had this little closet in the corner where we had all the shoes because mom wouldn't let us wear shoes in the house. So we had to put all our shoes in there. So it was just a bunch of mess. There was a mouse in there. I mean, it was just junk. So I got all that out, cleaned it all out, organized the shoes, and then I went over to the storage room where Dad kept a lot of his tools, and it was a mess, and I kind of organized it, and I took the water hose, and I washed the garage out, and I washed all the bikes off, and I put them back in there in order, and I just couldn't wait for my dad to get home. It's about 5.30. I'm playing basketball in the driveway, you know, and I'm just waiting. for his, He's going to come home, and here he comes. He comes up the driveway, and he starts to pull in the garage, and he stops, and he gets out. He turns the car off, and he's like, who did this? I said, what, Dad? He's like, who cleaned the garage? He's like, Mom's, your mom's not home, is she? I'm like, nope. Who did this? I said, I did. Got me a smile on my face. I was like, I cleaned it. He goes, this is amazing. You did all this? I said, yeah, I did it. Why? <laughs> I said, because I knew you'd be happy. And so he came over to me, put his arm around me, gave me a big hug. He said, I am so proud of you. I can't believe you did this without being told. He talked about it supper that night. He talked about it church the next Sunday. Everybody he saw, if I was with him, he'd say, I want to tell you about my son. And he would tell that story about me cleaning the garage out. Why? Because it pleased him. You know what pleases God like that? When we give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And he went to the trouble to express that to us so that we would know that that's one of the things he loves about us is when we give, not just give, but we give cheerfully. So God wants us to be generous because God himself is a generous God. Um, there's, a, there's a word that we use sometimes when we talk about our finances. We talk about the word stewardship. And that comes from an old English word that literally is sty, a sty warden, someone who was a, a sty is where we keep, keep pigs, I guess, in the old days, old English, that word. And so a warden was the person who managed it. He didn't own the pigs. He just was over the pigs. He managed the pigs for the owner. And that word sty warden turned into steward. And we use that word quite a bit now to talk about someone who manages someone else's resources. We talk about stewardship all the time at church because when people give their money to the church, it's not the staff's money. We're stewards of it. We're responsible for how we spend it. We don't own it, but we manage it for the Lord. There's other kinds of stewardship that we practice in our life. And I would ask this question to you this morning as a steward of God's resources that he clearly gives to you because of his generosity, would he be pleased or is he pleased with the way you manage it? This morning, is he pleased with the way that you manage his finances because they actually are his? So do you have a desire to please God like that? There's a word that's used here for cheerful 
It's the word hilarion, and it's a Greek word, and it means it's the same word that we get our word hilarious from. You guys have probably heard that before. But someone who gives with a sense of joy because they know that God can replace whatever they give. And so they give in a hilarious way because they're reflecting God to other people. They're reflecting the character of God by their giving. Jesus said this in Luke 12. He said, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Is that the way you picture God? Do you picture God saying, I can't wait to get you people up here with me. I have got some stuff prepared for you, and you cannot imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You can't, it hasn't even entered into your heart the things that I've prepared for you. Do you think of God like that? Because that's the way your Bible describes God, who gladly delights to give you his kingdom. So isn't that the way we ought to reflect him to other people? Shouldn't people see that same sense of joy, hilarity when we're giving? I think so. God wants us to give in a way that demonstrates our trust in him, but also he wants us to give cheerfully because that's what pleases him. And the last point I'll make today is this. A cheerful giver is someone who glorifies God. You know what that means when we talk about glorifying God? It means we point people to him. We give him the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets the fame. It's all about him. When we give glory to God, we're saying he's exalted. We just sing about exalting God. He's exalted. He's the one that's high and lifted up. It's not about me. I'm happy to exalt him because the story is about him. He's the one who's good, not me. Look at what it says in verse 11, 12, and 13. He says that Paul says, when I collect this offering and I take it to the Jewish Christians, it's going to produce thanksgiving to God in verse 11. Verse 12, it's going to overflow in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, these people will glorify God for your obedient confession and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. Because he's saying there is no more tangible expression of your trust in God and your desire to please him than when you would take something that is yours and give it away to somebody else. And he's saying it produces this sense of, wow, God, thanks for doing this work in these people's life that they would give to me like that. You probably have a story like that. I, I had a situation just a couple of weeks ago with the blizzard, the snowmageddon that came through here, you know, and I was, you may not notice this, but I was supposed to be here on Valentine's Day two Sundays ago, and I wasn't because I had the pleasure of waking up Sunday morning with a stomach virus, and uh, it was a wonderful thing, I got to tell you. And so I basically went to bed Sunday morning and slept for 24 hours. I wake up early Tuesday morning, and there's a foot of snow on the ground, and we have no hot water. And I'm like, oh, wow, it happened. I mean, I thought we'd get an inch of snow or something. You know, no, it really happened, and I was unprepared, didn't have the food stuff that we needed didn't have the stuff we needed to drink and all those things in the house. And I'm like, uh, I got a two-wheel drive. That's not going to cut it, I don't think. I'm texting friends saying, how are the roads? You've been out? Yeah, you don't want to get out in this. You're, you're going to have trouble if you get out in two-wheel drive. You probably won't make it. You may even make it to the store. And it won't be open, you know. So you better just stay put. And I'm thinking, man, there's some things I really need. So some friends of mine in our church came to my rescue in their Jeep, and they brought me all kinds of stuff. I just said, I just need a couple things. Would you mind if you're out running around? Sure, no problem. One guy made homemade chicken and dumplings and brought it. It was warm. It was awesome, you know. And he was so glad to bring it. But when I shut the front door and said bye to him, my first thought was, God, you are so good to, let your, to cause your people to do stuff like this. I couldn't pay any of them. They wouldn't let me pay them. They just gave to the Lord generously, but they gave it to me. You probably have a story like that where someone has done something amazing for you, very generous for you, and it causes you to go, God, you're amazing to do this work in these people's lives. Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16, a very familiar verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, when we're generous, we do reflect God. When we're cheerful about our giving, it's unusual enough that people take notice of it and they wonder why we would be generous. For example, a lot of you are going to leave here and go somewhere to eat lunch today. And I understand that Sunday is the day that waitress and waiters, waiters and waitresses dislike the most because they get the smallest tips from us. Those who have received the most generous gifts in the world from our God, and we go out and we practice stinginess with people that are trying to make a living waiting tables. How would it be if, on the other hand, when we go to restaurants, that those of us who know the Lord Jesus are the most generous people? How would that be? How would it be that if Sunday got the reputations with waiters and waitresses, man, you want to work on Sunday because, I mean, I realize we don't want people to work on Sunday, but I mean, they might say, hey, I want to work on Sunday because that's when people are the most generous, right? That would be cheerful giving. That's another example of someone saying, I'm going to give cheerfully to the Lord. And then people would go, what is it with you? What, why? You're different than other people. Or Christians as a whole would get this reputation of saying, I want to be generous because I want to point you to God. I want you to understand just a little bit about what God's like. And I can do that by being generous with you. Paul says in verse 5 here, he says there's this generous gift, and it's the word eulogia, which is where we get the word eulogy from. And you often think of a eulogy in terms of a funeral. But a eulogy, really, the Greek word means a blessing. So really when someone stands up at a funeral and they, they do a eulogy of someone, they're basically talking about the blessing of that person's life, the blessing that they were to other people and the kind of life that they lived. Well, what Paul's saying here is when you give a generous gift, you're, you're, being, you're being a blessing. And you, you don't want to be sparing with that. You want to be a blessing. So let me ask you a question. Do you know when someone's being sparing with you and someone's being generous with you? Yeah, you do. We know when someone's being extravagantly generous with us, when someone's giving to us cheerfully, and it's usually a blessing in our lives. It produces a blessing for us. Well, why not give that way? Why not seek to be a cheerful giver because it glorifies God in your life and it points people to him? Um, I, I know that for me, I, I want people to see God in my life. Now, let me ask you this question. We talked about trusting God and pleasing God and glorifying God. So let me just ask you a heart question this morning. Whether you give or don't give, is your heart's desire today to fully trust God and please him more than anything else and point people to him? Is that your heart this morning? Because if it's not, there's something very wrong with your heart, whether you know the Lord or don't. The reality is if your heart's right, you're going to want to do those three things. You're going to want to trust God more and more and greater. You're going to want to please him with everything. And you're going to want the glory to go to him. You're not going to want the glory for yourself. And the reality is if we don't glorify God, if we don't seek glory for God, you know who we seek glory for? We don't admit that, but we do. We do things so the glory will go to us, so the fame will go to us, so that we'll get the recognition. And that is not what the Lord wants for us. He wants to get the glory so he can draw more people into himself and into a relationship with him. Several years ago, and I'll close with this, we had um, decided we were going to buy this land out here to the north of our campus. Mr. Williams owned that land, and some of you have been out there. And let me encourage you, if you've never been out there, park on the back parking lot someday and walk through there. There's a nine-acre lake. There's picnic tables. There's an amphitheater that we're building out there right now, a pavilion, some other things. There's walking trails, and people are out there constantly. Y'all ever see cars parked back there? That's just people from our community who are coming to use our land, and it's, it's great that they're out there doing it. We've got a great ministry opportunity out there, but when we bought that land, the man who owned it, Mr. Williams, he didn't want to sell it to anybody else. He didn't give it to us, but he wanted to sell it to us at cheaper than he would have been able to sell it to other people. 
And so we decided instead of doing a capital stewardship campaign where we'd ask people to pledge over three years, we, we would do it a little differently and we took up four crazy big mission offerings over the course of two years. And there was a goal for each of those offerings. One of those offerings, the goal was a million dollars on one Sunday. Like not pledges, but cash and checks, one Sunday we wanted to raise a million dollars toward the price of that land. So, uh, I, you know, we had the day and people came and they gave and that, that million dollars would have greatly exceeded anything that anybody had given in terms of a total offering in one Sunday before that. So it was Monday afternoon, probably four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and I was at the gym and I was on a machine and I was just checking my email because they were going to count the money through Monday and figure out what the total was. And I think Greg Martin sent out an email um, just stating what the total was. And I was on this machine, I was in between sets, and I was like, oh man, that's awesome. I just kind of said that out loud. Well, the guy working out next to me is a friend of mine that I had been sharing Christ with. He didn't go to our church. He'd been once, but he didn't attend church here. And he's like, what, what, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I said that out loud. Okay. Uh, I said, um, well, I thought, is he going to even care? I mean, he doesn't go to our church. Why would he care? I said, well, here's the deal. Yesterday, our church took up over a million dollars to, towards this land that we're seeking to buy to use for God's glory. And without even stopping, he goes, man, I love your church. <laughs> you didn't even go to church here. You don't even know anybody here except me. He's like, I, I said, now I'm curious. Why do you say that? You don't even know our church. He goes, because I don't know much about God, but he said, one thing I do know is if people follow God, they're going to be givers. <laughs> Out of the mouth of people who don't even know the Lord, he says this. And I was like, you're exactly right. He was like, man, if I ever do go to a church, I'm going to your church. <laughs> because he was like, you guys get it. Well, praise the Lord. That's what happens when we're generous, when we're cheerful about our giving. It glorifies God. It points people to God. Now, Paul closes this way. He says, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. See, I said this a minute ago. There's no more generous being anywhere in the universe or beyond the universe or in all the universes than God. Because he demonstrated that by giving his son the greatest thing he could give, the, the most valuable thing in his life. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me so that we could have a relationship with him. Because you know what? I can't have a relationship with God on my own. I'm a sinful person. Tim said that a little bit ago in the song that we sang. We all struggle with sin in our lives, and sin separates us from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It earns us separation from God. But the other part of that verse is this, the free gift of God, the gift, God's a giver, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when I was 15, almost 16 years of age, I asked Christ to come into my life and save me, forgive me for all my sin. And he did. And he changed my life. It's still changing my life. Well, many of you have that same story. You have that same testimony that you could say, yes, I trusted Christ at a certain age in my life and Christ began to change my life. But he gave me a home in heaven. He forgave me of all my sin. But I also know that in this room and those who are watching online, there's some of you who've never, ever put your trust in Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about the indescribable gift that Paul talks about here because that gift motivates all our other giving. And that gift is that God said, I'm not going to spare my own son, but I'm going to give him up for you all freely so that how, how will I withhold good things from you if I'm giving you the most valuable thing I have? And the Bible says, you know, that, that God loves us enough that he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly, Psalm 84, 11. So God gave us his best. He gave us his son. And many of you know that. You have salvation through Jesus Christ. But today, if you don't, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, there's only two places you can spend eternity, heaven or hell, and you do not want to go to hell. Trust me, you don't. 
And I can warn you as sternly as I know how to warn anybody about anything, don't mess around with eternity. You're here today, and God's here today, and God's Spirit's working in your life, and you're not, you're not here by accident today, and you're hearing the gospel. This is your time to respond to him. So I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes as I close this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to pray right now for the people that are sitting here, sitting here around you, those who are watching online. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, I'm going to ask you, and you want to do that today. You want to receive salvation and forgiveness for your sin. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand because I'd like to lead you in a time of calling on the name of the Lord. And be bold about it because it's the best decision you will ever make in your life. It's a serious decision. Just raise your hand wherever you are. I want Christ today. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I want my sin forgiven. I want to receive the gift of eternal life today. I'm going to lead those of you who raised your hand through a time of calling on the name of the Lord because the Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. And so I'm going to lead you this morning just in a time of calling on the name of the Lord. So you can say these words to God. You can use your own words, whatever you want to do. He knows your heart, and that's really what matters. So right where you are, just say this to the Lord. Dear Jesus in heaven, I want to be saved today. I want to receive your gift of eternal life. And I am sorry that I've sinned against you. And I'm going to ask you, please forgive me for that. I turn away from sin. I don't want it. I want you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to change my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer today. Help me now to live in a way that does point to you and glorify you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.